Thank you. You may be seated. Let's let our ushers come forward to receive our offering. Encourage you to give tonight and be faithful in your giving. Father, we thank you now for the privilege of being able to give to you and to express our love to you through our giving. Bless the offering and continue to bless in this service in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all pray. the strength you give to simply carry on through life's toils and tests the worst and best I'm never left alone you're always right beside me you hear me when I pray and since I first began you've been my dearest friend I give you all the praise and we're singing thanks oh thanks Everything's going wrong Even on that mountain His loving presence makes me strong 
Each and every moment of each and every day. I want to sing and shout, won't let the rocks cry out. I'll give you all the praise. We're going to sing, we're going to sing to you, Lord. Yes, I do.
comes down, let's get out, shake hands, make everyone feel welcome tonight.
you. You may be seated. I don't know what your needs are tonight or what you may be facing or what decision you may be facing in your life. But I know the great I am. And he says that everything we need is found in him.
You know, I was telling my Sunday school class, I tell them all the time, that we got enough people in this world that'll go along with just whatever comes along and uh, really don't have anything to stand for. And I try to encourage my boys and tell them what we need is a few people to stand up and say, you know what, no matter what everybody else is doing, no matter what happens in this world around me, I'm going to stand for my Lord. Amen. And I'm going to stand for the cross because without him, we would be nothing. And it's not just goes for them little boys. That goes for all of us. There's people all around us that will go along with whatever comes their way. And they don't stand for nothing. And I'm going to tell you something. I thank God for the day I decided I was going to make that stand. And it changed my life. And I promise you it will do the same for you. many years ago to live for the master the one who loved me so enough to die on a rugged cross his father's will obey and when I'm asked what I stand time they get up to sing. Amen. God answers prayer. Prayed for that boy for years and finally got right. Amen. 
Praise the Lord. I tell you, it's been some exciting things happening around here, and, and we're going to begin to share with you on Sunday night some of those things. And, of course, I'm going to finish the series that I've been doing tonight, and then next Sunday night we're going to begin to get ready uh, for the new year and the things that are going to be happening in the new year. So next Sunday night we begin that process. But uh, before we share with you some things tonight, just want to just recognize a few people. Good to have the Endalia family. I hope I pronounced that right. From the Philippines, would you stand there in the back here, the Endalia family? Let's welcome them tonight. Good to have them to our services. Appreciate them coming. And then, of course, Brianna has a whole roll of folks that are visiting tonight. First time guests with us, and we're glad to have them. Good to have Eddie Goddard back home today, and always a joy to have Eddie home. But again, we're excited about all the things that are happening and uh, looking forward to all that is going to happen. And there's so many things that I wish that I wish I had everything in my hands to put before you tonight, and you would share the excitement that I have, but I'm excited about it. One of the two things we're going to be working on and uh, spending a lot of time focusing on over the next month, throughout the month of December and on up into January, of course, you've heard a lot about faith. I'm going to say more about faith in just a moment. It's faith in our greeters' ministry. These two things, I believe, are keys to our future. And uh, the greeters, we've got many that have worked in our greeters' ministry and been so faithful to your place and uh, being there. And I want you to know how thankful I am for the faithfulness that you have expressed in what you're doing. We're taking the greeters' ministry to new levels, new roles in the days and the weeks to come. And I want many of you to be praying about serving in different areas. There's certain areas, and of course, you're going to have opportunities over the next several weeks to uh, become involved in these things. We usually do a lot of this in January, but we're going to do it in December, getting ready so that we start 2002 out, ready to roll and different things. But prayer ministry, we're praying that many of you will catch the burden for prayer. Join us in our prayer ministry in the upper room. Uh, the greeters ministry. Uh, again, we're going to be, it's going to have an impact in our church, going to have a huge role in where we go in the future, and a lot of additional things we're going to be doing through our greeters ministry. Uh, you'll be learning about that. We want many of you to become a part of that, and faith. I can't begin to thank God for the day that he brought faith into this congregation and for what it's done for us. We have just conclu concluded our fourth semester of faith. And what an exciting semester it has been. Aaron's going to come and just share with you some details and just give you a little facts and figures. It's a normal, it's a 16-week session, but these numbers, if I'm not mistaken, they're based on basically 13 weeks, aren't they? 13 weeks because we doubled up uh, lesson 14 and 15, and so we had practice session on session 12. So this is really about 13 weeks we've actually gone out and we come back after Thanksgiving week for their exam and different things like this. But uh, this is exciting. I want Aaron to come and share these numbers with you. This is for this semester, and I believe he has them for the total for the year as well. Let's have all of our faith people stand. Let's give all of our faith people a good hand. Everybody has participated in faith this semester. Been a tremendous, tremendous semester. And these figures will show you what we're excited about. Amen. I tell you, I have been in church about all my life and have been a part of a lot of different soul-winning visitation programs, but I don't think I've ever been a part of one that is any more exciting than faith is. And uh, I tell you what, I went to a faith clinic uh, January be a year ago, 
and first learned about faith, and then we've gone through two semesters here. And I thank God for what he has done. And uh, faith is more than just numbers. Every one of the numbers that you'll see in, in a few moments represents a person. And if you'll keep that in mind, it'll excite you even more about what God has allowed us to do this semester and this year in our faith program. And, of course, we'll uh, start a new semester in, toward the end of January, the 1st of February, and hope that you might consider being involved in faith. Uh, in our spring semester of last year, we had 46 folks going out, 15 different teams. In our fall semester, 76 people in 25 different teams. So that kind of gives you an idea of how we grew last semester and we thank God for every single thing that went on. Give you some comparisons and some totals from the spring and the fall semesters. The visits made, that's how many visits we actually made, how many homes we actually went to. The spring semester, 302 homes that we got to visit. The fall semester, 572. And so we see the growth there, and we see God again increasing. Contacts made, and that's individual people that we talked to. The spring semester, 428. The fall semester, 1,081 people that we talked to. Amen? That's something to praise the Lord for. This week is Thanksgiving. There's a church up the street from my house that has a sign that says, Thanksgiving should be observed daily. And when you and I know the Lord, that's not a hard thing to do. Amen? Decisions that were made in our spring semester, there were 26 total decisions made for Christ the fall semester, the number went up to 38. And to give you a breakdown of what those decisions were, the spring semester, we had 10 people get saved out on faith. And the fall semester, it jumped to 22. 22 people got saved this past semester in faith. Wonderful. We have what we call celebration time. We have a class time for about 45 minutes to an hour. Then we go out and make visits. And then we come back in and everybody tells about what happened out on their visits. And I tell you what, there is nothing more exciting than when somebody walks in and they get up to the microphone and they say, we got to lead somebody to Christ tonight. I tell you what, and some of them, uh, you can just, when they walk in the door, you can tell it on their face that, that they got to see somebody saved and, and they're about to have a shouting spell. Uh, some more decisions that were made. We had 14 assurances of salvation in the spring semester, 13 in the fall semester, and then two rededications and in the spring and three in the fall. In our fall semester, out of we actually went soul winning 12 weeks. Uh, one of our weeks was a practice week. But 11 out of those 12 weeks, one of our faith teams had somebody saved. 11 out of 12. And uh, 12 different teams this, this semester out of 25 had folks get saved. And so we thank God that some folks are leading their first ever souls to Christ. We thank God for that. Give you some idea of what faith has accomplished for this church this year, what we've been able to do and what God has allowed us to do for this year. Our visits made totaled 874. Our contacts was 1,509 people that we talked to about church or we made ministry visits to or we talked to about salvation. 64 total decisions this year, including 32 people getting their names written down in the book of life, 27 people getting assurance of their salvation, and five Christians rededicating their life to the Lord out on faith. And I tell you what, that ought to just excite you to no end. I was able to get up at the end of every faith night and, and give, some, give the numbers of each night, how many contacts we made. And it was exciting just to see what God was doing. 
and to think about the fact that, that we got to talk to 1,500 people that if we did not have a faith program or a soul winning program of any kind, they would have not had any contact with the gospel this year. 1,500 people. And then to think about 32 of those people that we talked to bowing their heads and trusting Christ as their Savior, that is something that you and I can praise God for. Amen. Preacher. You can't beat that with a stick, can you? Amen. It is exciting. I want you to know uh, that faith is more than a visitation program. It is much more than that. They don't just think that's what it is. Faith is a spiritual experience. It is a time of growth, and everybody that has gone through faith will be sharing with you testimonies in the weeks to come. And you'll find that many of them, one of the things they mentioned is how they have grown in the Lord during the semester. So uh, I just want to share that with you. I think that's great. That's worth giving the Lord praise for, all that we've done this year. Again, let's give the Lord praise for all of His blessings. That's great. And we want you to be a part of it. We want all of you to be a part of it. We're, now's the time to begin to sign up for faith or to volunteer for faith and be a part of it beginning of the next semester. And uh, all you've got to do, if you want to be a part of faith, you saw all these people stand. And I guarantee you, you've already been approached. Somebody's going to come to you and say, would you be on my faith team next semester? That's all you've got to do is say yes and then come. We'll be having a faith banquet toward the end of December, and this will be an opportunity for all of you that are interested in faith to come to. If you want to learn more about faith, that's what these faith banquets are all about. You can come to them. You can learn about faith and what's involved and, and know a little bit more about it. But I promise you, it will be a wonderful experience for you. It will be a life-changing experience. We use a little phrase uh, when we give our evangelistic testimony one of the things that we say is, but I had a life-changing experience. And I promise you, faith will be a life-changing experience. So if you're interested in being part of faith, now's the time to let us know. And over the course of the next month, we'll be saying more about that. You get your bulletin. You know, As you know, there's a little card in the right-hand corner when you open your bulletin up that you can tear out. All you got to do is just on the back, it says, Other or something like that, letting us know different things. Just check that and say, I want to be a part of faith. Put your name on it. It'll get to us, and we'll be sending you information about it. So I hope that many of you will, and I promise you it will be a blessing to you. The Greeters Ministry, all of these things, we'll be telling you more about it in the weeks to come, and I hope that all of you, everybody, will get involved in it. We're gonna, we got a lot of great plans around here, and I want you to know right up front, that is going to require a commitment that we have never had before to get through what we're about to start into. It's going to take a commitment to get done all that we're going to do. It is going to be an exciting time, and it is going to be a different time for us, and it will require commitment from many of you. We'll have to do things like we've never done it before for a period of time. I would talk about the new buildings going up the first thing, and we're still praying about how we're going to handle this. But the first thing that's happened is we're going to lose this wing over here. So what are we going to do? Where are we going to put people? So uh, we don't know. We're still praying about how we're going to handle that, whether we have to go to two services or what we have to do to handle it on Sunday morning. We're still praying it now. 
But whatever we do, uh, I've been thinking about, one of the things I've been thinking about, you know, you get these hooks, these huge hooks. I'm thinking about mounting hooks on the wall, and we'll start with 50-pound, 40, and 60-pound, and come down. And then if you go over 100-pound, we'll put you out here in the pew. We may do something like that. I don't know what we're going to do. Uh, but these are exciting problems to have. We're just trying to follow the Lord. But all of these things is going to force us for a period of time, for about a year, construction time is going to run us at the very best, and a miracle best, eight months and then 12 months. They estimate roughly uh, 11 to 12 months at the very best, eight months before we'll actually occupy the building once they begin it. So that's going to be a year that is going to be quite different around, us, around here as we get ready uh, to move into the new building. So it's going to take a lot of changes for us, accepting a lot of things that we normally don't put up with and uh, doing things maybe we normally don't do or wouldn't do. And again, it'll require us, all of us, to make a commitment. More about that in the days to come. But I'm thankful for what is happening, aren't you? And these are exciting times. Take your Bible and turn to Luke 23. And as you know, on Sunday nights, we have been looking at the seven sayings of our Lord on the cross. I want to look at the final one tonight and just take just a few minutes to point out a few things about the final cry of our Lord. And then before we leave tonight, we have our baptismal service tonight, and we'll be doing that at the end of the service. Luke 23, let's stand as we honor the public reading of His Word. Luke chapter 23, notice verse 46. Luke chapter 23, verse 46. The Bible said, And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Seven things Jesus said on the cross. This is the last thing that Jesus said before he died. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Thank you. you. may be seated. We're going to look at three simple little thoughts tonight and just be reminded of the work of Christ for us in this final word of our Lord on the cross. Father, tonight in Jesus' name, we stop now to give you praise. Thank you, Lord, for every home you've allowed us to go into. We thank you, Lord, for the folks that are members of this church tonight because of faith teams that went into their homes, faith teams that followed up their visit here at one time, faith teams and people that visited others and said to them, we love you, we care, we're so glad you came, we want you to come back. And Father, thank you for the many families in this room, even tonight, that are members of this church because of our faith teams and those that have been a part of faith. I think of a family, Lord, that I spoke to out in the parking lot this morning that told me that someone from our church came to their home on Thursday night and invited them to be here, and the whole family was here this morning. I thank you for these things. Thank you for every home we've been into, for every person, all 1,500-plus, that we've had the opportunity of speaking to personally from this church. I thank you for it. And most of all, I thank you for those that have been saved. And what a blessed time it has been and what a wonderful experience it has been through this semester as our folks came back for celebration time and week after week after week, speaking of someone that had your command and fulfilling your commission, your blessing, you honor that. 
and you're using us, and I thank you for it. Lord, continue to bless us. Now, we thank you for all you did for us on the cross, and may we be reminded of that tonight and these moments, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, when Jesus hung on the cross, there, was, there are seven recorded sayings of our Lord. I have said this over the past few weeks. It is possible that Jesus said other things. We don't know. But we do have seven recorded statements our Lord made. The first statement our Lord made after he was nailed to the cross was actually a prayer. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We saw our Lord reaching up to God on the behalf of other people. At the very beginning, the first words of our Lord while he was on the cross reminded us of why he was on the cross. That he was not a martyr cut off in the prime of his life. He was a Savior dying for sinful men. And so in the very beginning, we saw why he was dying. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second statement that our Lord made on the cross, he said to a thief, as we saw in our studies, he was nothing more than a renegade. He was nothing more than a terrorist, as we might call him today. But Jesus looked at him, and he said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. We saw Jesus reaching up to God for man. Now we saw, and then we saw him reaching out to man for God. It reminded me and it reminded us all as we looked at that dying thief that turned to Jesus Christ that there is nobody that is beyond the saving power of our Lord. That if he could save someone like the thief that was on the cross, there was two, one his brother, as the preacher said on Wednesday night, one that received and one that rejected. If one like the thief could be saved, then there's hope for everybody. Amen? The second statement was today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. He reached up to God, he reached out to man, and then he reached down to man. In the third cry, he said to his mother, woman, or he said, a woman, behold thy son. Speaking of the disciple John, and then looked at the disciple and said, behold thy mother. We saw his care. We saw how he cares for us when we are hurting in our own life. And then the middle cry of the cross, the fourth cry, was a cry that identified him as man. He cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Separated from God, become sin. He became sin for us, who knew no sin, but that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He was our substitute. He was our sacrifice. He was our Savior. And then last Sunday night, we looked at two cries, the fifth and the sixth cry together. And we did so because one cry led into the other. You might say that one cry, although it revealed many wonderful things, it was asked in order that the last cry might be carried out in the way that it was. One of the agonies of dying on the cross was thirst. And Jesus, as the psalmist said, he described his tongue swollen and described his parched mouth. And in those dying moments, Jesus said, I thirst. He had refused the drug wine, but now the Lord Jesus takes the sour wine that is offered. And the reason so was because he was about to cry with a loud voice, and he didn't want anything to hinder what he was about to say. And that was the seventh cry, or the sixth cry, when he cried, it is finished. Not I am finished, but it is finished. And as we saw how what it, what it was, it is finished Jesus dying for our sins, paying the price for our sins. So all of those were the cries we've considered. We come to our final cry tonight. 
It is the final words of our Lord on the cross. It is the final words just before he dies. You might say, as I was reading one author, he put it this way, the Lord Jesus taught us how to live, and he did teach us how to live. You look at his life, as Peter said, he left us an example to follow. We're to follow every line and curve of his life. He left us an example to follow. But he not only taught us how to live, but he also taught us how to die. And when you come to the last cry of our Lord on the cross, we learn many things about dying and learn many things about death. But although he teaches us how to live and he teaches us how to die, I want us to approach it from another light tonight. Now, I want us to look at the final cry of the Lord Jesus Christ from the cross. And I believe in this final cry, it is summed up, Calvary is summed up in the words, into thy hands, Father, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. You take everything we've said over the past five weeks, you take everything we have seen about the cross, and you could sum it all up in this final statement, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. We see him dying. What about his death? Let me point out three things. One, I want you to notice the manner of his death. Look at the manner of his death. The Bible said in Luke 23, 46, that having said thus, notice the statement, he gave up the ghost. Now notice that statement there. He gave up the ghost. He gave up the spirit, as we might say. And really the words there literally mean he was out of breath or out of spirit. We would say it this way, he breathed his last breath. When the Bible said that he gave up the ghost, it is simply saying he breathed his last breath. He made a statement, and then he died. But in this final cry, we see that even in death, our Lord was in charge. For you see that statement, he gave up the ghost. It reminded us that even in death, our Lord was in charge and he was in control. Let me show you what I'm talking about. One, let's go back and think, first of all, how he gave over his life. He gave over his life. Now, you think about Calvary for just a moment. It all began with Judas that betrayed him. And you know the story, how he's in the garden. Here comes an angry mob out there. They take him and they take him away. And the Bible tells us how they began to beat him and all the things that he went through, how he was scourged and tried wrongly and then delivered to the Romans to be taken to Calvary's Hill or Golgotha, the place of the skull, and there to be executed and there to be crucified. You find evil men taking him. You find evil men abusing him. You find evil men betraying him. And you find evil men crucifying him. And it almost appears as if here is someone whose life is suddenly snatched out at the young age of 33. A mob attacks him and hauls him away to be crucified. But I want you to understand something tonight. Everything that happened in the garden, he allowed it to happen. Everything that happened in, before Caiaphas, he allowed it to happen. Everything that happened before Pilate, he allowed it to happen. Everything that happened with Judas, he allowed it to happen. The scourging, he allowed it to happen. And the nailing to the cross, he allowed it to happen. Not one thing happened that he did not allow it. And furthermore, not one thing happened that he did not arrange to happen. 
You see, it was not a matter that they took him. It was a matter that he gave over his life. He was in control. He was in control with the matter of his life. He gave over his life. And second of all, he gave up his life. For you read on the cross the final words that he says, and then he breathed his last breath. But even in death, he was in control. For the Bible said he gave up the ghost. He breathed his last breath. You see, he died when he decided to die. He didn't die until he had finished the work that he had been sent to do. You see, he was in control. I want to remind you tonight that our Lord is in control. And when you look at our Lord on the cross, the giving over of his life or the giving up of his life, he was always in control. What an assuring thought tonight to know that our Lord is in charge of what happens in our life. Amen? That there is nothing that can come in our life, there is nothing that happens in our life, that our Lord either arranges it or He allows it. He is in control of what happens in our life. Can I get an amen there? That's the manner of His dying. He gave up the ghost. But second of all, you look at the meaning of His dying or the meaning of his death. But you notice what he said. He gave up the ghost. That's the manner in which he died. He gave up the ghost. But you notice what he said. He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Now, I want you to under underscore that word commend tonight. Because it's much more than Jesus saying, Lord, it's time for me to die. Thus I give you my spirit, or I commend my spirit to you. No, there was a lot of things involved in what Jesus was doing. It was more than just giving his spirit to the Father. There were several things involved. For one thing, there was something committed. When Jesus said, into thy hands I commend my spirit, he was committing something to the Father. You see that word commend there? It is a word that means to commit. It is a word that you find other times in the Bible, like 1 Timothy 1.18, where Paul said to Timothy, this charge I commit unto thee. It is found in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2. And he talks about that which has been committed unto faithful men. It, is to talk, it speaks of committing something. And when Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, he was saying, Father, there is something I am committing to you. Now, the word itself has the ideal of committing, but the word was used in a variety of ways. You take the ideal of committing. It was used in that sense to describe something that was set before someone, such as the setting of a table. If someone prepared a meal and then set that meal on the table before someone, they were giving, they were giving something over to another with the power of doing something with it. In other words, if they committed something or set the table, they set the food in front of them, and it was theirs to do with. It was theirs to eat. Now, when it was used in that sense, again, it had the idea of taking something and giving it to another and giving them or allowing them or giving it to them with the power to use it. Now, what was Jesus committing to the Father? Follow me for just a moment. Are you still with me? Jesus paid the price. That's what Calvary is all about. Amen? When Jesus dies, I said a while ago, he didn't die as a martyr. He died as a sacrifice. 
He didn't die as someone, as, as someone that was uh, taken by evil men and just nailed to the cross. He gave his life. He gave over his life. He gave up his life. He gave himself to pay the price and to purchase our redemption and, and to buy our salvation. Now, when Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, what he's doing, he is taking that which he has accomplished. I have finished thy work, he said. I have accomplished thy work. Knowing that he had finished his work, he cried, I thirst, and then said it is finished. Jesus paid the price, and now what he's doing is giving that finished prize or that finished work to the Father that he might use it to save others. Are you listening to me tonight? Every time God saves somebody, he saves us on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done. How many of you are saved tonight? Would you lift your hand high? You know you're saved. You don't have any doubt, any question whatsoever. You know if you die that you go to heaven. Then I want you to understand, son, you didn't get saved because of how you lived. You didn't get saved because you joined Temple Baptist Church. You didn't get saved because you started giving 10% of your income. You didn't get saved because you turned over a new leaf. You got saved because of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. You're not saved because of what you do. You're saved because of what he has done. And Jesus said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. I am given to you that which I have finished. And on that basis, God saves us. And on that basis, God can cleanse us from our sins and make us sons of God. So there was something that was committed unto him. But there was also something that was completed. When Jesus said, into thy hands I commend my spirit, he's not only committing something, but also there is completing, there's a completion of something. Take the word again. The word was sometimes used of filing a report or a record, and sometimes it was used the ideal of bringing forth proof. It's like if there had to be certain papers that had to be filed, then you would commit those papers, or you would file those papers or file that report. Now, if I can put it this way, when Jesus died, he said, Now, Father, I'm giving to you what I've just done. You can save man. You can save sinners. You can save anybody. I paid the price. Now, whosoever will may come. He said, I'm giving to you that you might use to bring others. But he also, he was saying, I just want you to know, Father, I'm coming home, and I'm going to be filing the report. I like a captain reporting to the commander-in-chief the successful completion of an assignment. He said, I'm coming back in a few days, and I'm going to file a report that the work has been done. Thank God tonight the price has been paid. Amen? That's why we're saved. But there was something completed. But also, thirdly, there was something claimed. There was not only something committed and something completed, but there was also something claimed. Again, the word sometimes when it was used in legal terminology, it had to do with the document or whatever, a filing of a document. But it was not so matter the filing of a report or a record to serve as proof of something, but it was also connected with the filing of declarations and registrations of some claim or property, like a title deed to a house. Or as gold miners would file their deed to say, this is mine, this belongs to me. They would file these records as a claim of ownership. 
They would file these declarations and registrations as a claim. This is mine. I bought it. It belongs to me. I want you to know when Jesus died, the last thing he said was, Lord, I want you to know I'm coming home to file a claim on the souls of man. I bought them. I made them in the beginning. But now I've redeemed them. I have bought them again. And I'm going to file a claim for them. I want you to know, thank God. I'm a child of God tonight because one day Jesus Christ filed a claim on my hell-deserving soul. And you're here tonight because he laid claim to you. Thank God tonight, Jesus Christ, when he died, he committed his finished work to God. He completed that work, and he laid a claim to me. I belong to him. Amen? I don't have good sense, but I promise you one thing. I belong to God. That was the meaning of his death. But let me give you a third and final thing. Are you still with me now? It's not on the manner of his death. He gave up the ghost. And the meaning of his death, I commend my spirit, but there is the message of his death. What is the message of his death? He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. What is, he being, what is being said in all of this? For one thing, there is a reunion with his father. He is now being reunited with his father. You remember the first cry of the cross? He said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And now here's the last cry. But you remember in the very middle? You remember the middle cry of the cross? He doesn't say, my father, my father, why hast thou forsaken me? But he cries, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know why? Because at that moment, he was identifying himself with, human, with the human race. He was dying in my stead. He was dying in your stead. He was dying in your place. He was becoming sin. He was becoming the sacrifice. I want you to understand something. A man that is lost is separated from God. And when you're separated from God, you might be able to look up and say, my God, and he is your God no matter whether you're saved or lost because you are indirectly the result of his creation. So it doesn't matter who you are. You can say, my God, but unless you've been saved, you cannot say, my Father. So he begins by saying, my Father. Father, forgive them. But then he becomes sin. He becomes my sacrifice. And he's separated from God, bearing my sin, bearing my hell. But now the work is done. The price is paid. And once again, he is saying, my Father. And when he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. It was but an announcement from the cross. I have been separated. I left heaven's glory to come to the sin-cursed earth. But in a few days, I'm coming back again. It was a reunion with his father. But second of all, it was a matter of reigning with his father. You see, there was one more way this word commend was used. It was a word that meant to place oneself beside another. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Again, that word means to place oneself beside another. You know what Jesus did when he went back to heaven? He died, was put in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, glory to God, he got up out of the grave. And then 40 days later, he went back to the Father. You want to know what he's doing tonight? You want to know what Jesus Christ is doing tonight? He is seated at the right hand of the Father on high. You know what he's doing tonight? He is ruling. 
You know what he's doing tonight? He's reigning with his Father. He is interceding for sinners. He is making intercession for saints. He is on the throne. He reigns with his Father tonight. Aren't you glad for that? See, there are seven cries. Now, what do all these cries say to us? Let me sum it all up this way. What should all these cries mean to us as a child of God? Well, for one thing, it ought to make you appreciate the price that he paid. It ought to make you appreciate the price that you paid. You're saved. You raised your hand a while ago. I've said it before. Your salvation was free, but it was not cheap. It cost the Son of God his life. He died a most agonizing death in order that we might be saved. Free, yes, but it wasn't cheap. And how we ought to appreciate what he did for us. How we ought to love him for what he did for us. How we ought to honor him for what he did for us. How we ought to serve him for what he did for us. I think about the gentleman that wrote the song, Must I Go Empty-Handed. And he wrote that song after an experience that he had in his life. Or someone wrote that song due to a story that he heard about a young man at a college off of Lake Michigan. And this young man was an athlete in the school preparing for the Olympics at the time. And he was a Christian. He prepared. He was planning also to get into ministry. But he was also going to be in the Olympics. But someone come rushing in the library and said, the Lady Elgin is sinking. She's floundering. And they rushed, rushed out, many of them did. But this young man dived in the cold waters, swam out there and brought someone and got a hold of someone and brought them back. And he went back and got another one and brought them back. And he went back and forth and back and forth until he was literally exhausted. And someone said, you've got to stop. You're going to drown yourself. But he went back for one more. And he saved 13, I believe it was, or 21 souls or people that night. He saved them himself. Years later, of course, the experience of the whole thing, the weather, the cold water, so broke his health that he was never able to run in the Olympics, and he had problems the rest of his life. He died living alone out west. Someone went to hear him, went to see him, I should say, and they began to talk to him, and he said this, of all the 21 people I saved that night, not one ever came to thank me for what I did. Not one ever sent me a note. Not one ever called. Not one ever said, thank you. I think about all that he's done for us. I'm asked all the time, preacher, how do you get folks in your church to work? How do you get people to live for God? How do you get people to, to teach? How do you get people to work? I'm going to tell you how you get folks to work. I don't know how to make people work. All I know to do is to try to get you to love Christ. Because if you love Christ, I believe you'll serve God. I believe if you really love Him, if you'll see Him as your Savior and see Him and the price that He paid, you'll want to do something for Him. You won't want to sit on a pew and do nothing. You won't want to come to church once every full moon. You see him as he loved you. You'll want to love him. You'll want to honor him. You'll want to serve him. You'll want to give him your life. And when you listen to his cries on the cross and all that they mean, they call forth my deepest devotion. The Queen Victoria brought the old, rough, couth William Booth before her one time. And she said to him, Mr. Booth, founder of the Salvation Army. Why is it 
that you are so effective in what you do. I've known men that had greater skill than you, greater speaking abilities than you, had greater uh, things at their disposal, but yet not as effective as you. Why are you so effective? And the story is told that General Booth bowed his head and then lifted his head as if embarrassed to answer. But he said, Your Majesty, I guess it's because that God has all of William Booth there is. I think about all that he said on the cross. It calls for one thing, all that Ken Trivet is and all that we are. I cannot, in light of the cross, give him anything less. Amen? Let's stand to our feet, please.